Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 175. Today's episode is all about simple ways to change your brain. Cellular degeneration and the diseases of aging start 20 to 30 years before you have a symptom of memory loss or dementia. So, you know, the habits that we're doing in our 20s, 30s, and 40s are really going to predict what our lives are going to be like when we're 60, 70, and 80. So what I teach people is it's never too late to change your habits and change your brain health. It doesn't have to be that hard or expensive. (laughs) You can do a lot of things at home um, through diet and lifestyle modifications that are really extraordinary. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, love. First, if you haven't subscribed yet, hit that little button to be reminded of new episodes. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews are a really great way to give back if you find the show helpful. Plus, they help the show climb the charts, which helps me get even better guests. Today, I want to read probably my favorite review ever from Minimalist Me. It says, this is such a great podcast. I learn something new in every episode. I love the morning mind love emails and decided to become a premium listener. It's an investment in myself and well worth the subscription price. I've recommended it to many friends and look forward to every new episode. Melissa is a great host and has the best guests on. Well, Minimalist Me, that was basically everything I wanted to hear in one review. So thank you. Thank you so much. Your brain is the most essential organ in your body. It plays a role in pretty much everything that you do, from your bodily functions to your personality. So when it's balanced, everything in your body and mind will work more efficiently. And here's the mind-blowing part, or shall I say brain-blowing part. (laughs) Haha, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll see myself out. While our lifestyle habits today affect the health of our brains in 20 to 30 years from now. So basically, if you're doing something to damage your brain now, like poor diet, chronic stress, not hydrating, the major symptoms won't show up for another 20 to 30 years. This is not exactly an immediate feedback system, now is it? This means that you can be increasing your chances of cognitive decline, like memory loss or even Alzheimer's, right now. If you've ever explored the idea of biohacking your brain, though, you also know that there are things that you can do to notice immediate changes to your brain. And there might be things that you're doing now that are leading to less severe but still annoying symptoms like brain fog or depression. I can relate to not really trusting my brain. For years, actually over a decade, I was prescribed a very high dosage of Adderall. So I had a very codependent relationship with this drug. So many of my vices were wrapped up in this. It allowed me to party longer without getting too drunk. It kept my appetite low. I had a lot of energy. It sort of helped me focus. Plus, my friends always wanted to buy it off of me, so I basically thought of Adderall like capsuled gold. 
But as I started to make changes in my life, like trying to heal my vices and start to manage my thoughts and being intentional with what I put into my body, Adderall just wasn't really in alignment with who I was becoming. Not to mention, I was completely ignoring that it was sort of stealing my joy. I was always in a hurry. It was hard to really connect with people because in my mind, they couldn't keep up. I also lost a lot of my silliness and my playfulness. So I somehow had to get off of this incredibly addictive drug and start to understand how my body and mind were supposed to work naturally. I basically created this really unrealistic expectation or standard for how my body was supposed to function. But the problem was, I got on Adderall for a reason. I actually had almost every symptom of ADD. But what I found was that, first of all, a lot of my symptoms were actually caused by poor lifestyle choices. And a lot of the other symptoms could at least be managed or helped with better lifestyle choices. What I just found so surprising is that so many of us are doing things that are working against our actual intentions, eating things that create brain fog or living in ways that steal our energy. And these sometimes really simple biohacking techniques have helped me to live completely holistically while going after really big dreams. Needless to say, I am a huge fan of biohacking, which is just a buzzy way of saying changing the way your mind or body functions in some way. Well, this episode is all about biohacking the brain with simple lifestyle changes. And it's full of really actionable things that you can start doing right now for little to no money. Our guest is Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. She's an award-winning neuroscientist and author of Biohack Your Brain. I'm kind of obsessed with her because not only is she super friendly, she's basically a genius and also gorgeous. Well, as a heads up, we ended up discussing the Muse brain sensing headband that I've talked about in a lot of other episodes because I am obsessed with this thing and it turns out that she has one also and loves it. So if you're intrigued by it, I have a link for 15% off in the show notes or go to mindlove.com slash muse and it will automatically apply the discount. So that's mindlove.com slash M-U-S-E. Three key things we will learn are the most significant ways that we can change the brain, simple ways to change your brain in under 10 minutes, and how our thoughts can change our brain. But before we get started, I want to invite you to wake up to the morning mind love. This is not your typical annoying newsletter. Instead, each weekday morning, you get a little inspiration to just set the tone for your day, to give you something positive to focus on. Think of it like a short note from your higher self. Plus, when you sign up, you get two amazing free gifts a 30-minute binaural meditation, and 30 days of self-reflective journaling prompts to help your growth. And it's all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. And if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Kristen Willemeyer to the show. Thank you. Such a pleasure to meet you, Melissa. I'm really excited to join you today. So... I am so curious, how did you start this whole journey of becoming a brain expert? <laughs> well, thank you for asking. I hadn't actually planned on being a neuroscientist when I was a young uh, child. I actually thought I was going to be a professional equestrian. I grew up showing horses in the Midwest. And interestingly, when you're in a competitive sport like that, it helped introduce me into the field of 
psychology and performance enhancement. So when I finished riding and went off to college, I started studying sports psychology. I thought, wow, let me get a better understanding of how to handle our mind and how to improve performance, especially for elite athletes. But Interestingly, I really wanted to know more about the brain and understand it on a physiological level. So I had originally planned to go to medical school. And then after working in various medical settings, I decided that I wanted to go into neuroscience research. And that brought me to UCLA, where I got my first master's degree in physiological science. I actually studied the brains of a species of fish called plainfin midshipmen, um, understanding, uh, really that was a neuroendocrinology project. So understanding how hormones act on the brain. And then I went into neurobiology and studied a gene that becomes mutated in the young onset form of Parkinson's disease. Um, so I did that, you know, for another eight years and then when I graduated, finished, you know, my academic work, I went to work for a company called the Amen Clinics. So they are a nationally recognized mental health care facility that focuses on treating people with complex psychiatric disorders and they use neuroimaging, so brain imaging, as a way to help tailor treatments for patients. So when I was there, I was their director of research. So I ran all of our clinical neuroimaging trials. And I was also their director of nutrition and nutraceuticals, where I studied really effectively how supplements impact brain function um, using neuroimaging technologies. Well, I'm so excited to dive into all of this. I am really interested in brain science also. It, kind of in the same, well, different, but similar path that you took where, you know, when we're trying to understand how to move through this world optimally, you start to realize that the brain is probably the biggest part. Like I could lose all my limbs and still be who I am. If I had some really intense brain injury, my personality would be different. There's just so much wrapped up into the brain. It controls really everything that we do. It is the most essential organ in the body. Although cardiologists might say the heart is the most essential organ, <laughs> but you need your brain, you need your heart. Yeah, the brain drives everything we do, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our behaviors. And interestingly, nobody really teaches us how to take care of our brain when we're young. I mean, you could take you know classes in biology and get some sort of understanding of it. But for me, it wasn't until I did my graduate training and even my work in a psychiatric setting where I really had a much deeper appreciation of how our brain works how we can actually change the physiology of our brain and how that impacts our day-to-day -day lives. And, you know, I know we're going to be talking about a book that I just written, but, you know, in going through this training over the last 20 years, I wish sort of the things that I teach people, I wish somebody had taught me when I was in my 20s. One of the things that you say in your book is that changing your brain isn't brain science. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, changing your brain is actually quite easy. And I know you have this incredible podcast and you've talked about that, right? Ways that we can rewire the brain. So what I want people to understand is you can do very simple daily dietary and lifestyle modifications, and they can make profound changes in the physiological 
functioning of your brain, meaning we can increase blood flow to the brain and have those changes last. We can change the way the neurons are communicating in the brain so that they are at their most efficient. And we can even change brain volume. And why is that important? Well, by the time we hit the age of 40, our brain declines. We actually lose 5% of brain volume every decade. And then that accelerates once we hit the age of 70. So when I'm teaching people about brain health, you really want to start early. You want to start in your 20s, 30s, and 40s so that you can age. I like to say aging gracefully, but also aging, be able to maintain your cognitive function into your 80s and 90s. One of the things that I've heard often is, you know, like it's so much harder to learn a language or something like that when we're older compared to when we're younger. And we just have this idea that the brain is developing until a certain age. And so I believe a lot of people might think that after a certain age, making some of these brain changes might be a lot more difficult. Is there like an age cutoff for <laughs> ch changing our brain or does it really matter? I like that question. Is there an age cutoff? There is no age cutoff for changing our brain. So the brains go through this rapid period of development from all the way through till age 25. So whenever, especially in the clinical setting, we would say whenever we were working with parents, we would tell them, you know, when your child turns 18 or 21, you still need to be there to help guide them in decisions because the frontal lobes, which are in the front part of your brain, they're involved in higher level thinking, impulse control, rational decision-making. Those frontal lobes are not fully developed until your child is 25 years of age. So, you know, I think that's one of the really important things that parents need to understand. But in getting to your original question, our brains can change all the way up until we are 100. Everything we do, every food we eat, every action we take has an impact on your brain function. And you could almost ask yourself the question, are the foods that I'm eating today helping to grow my brain and preserve brain volume or actually helping to um, cause inflammation in the brain and inflammation actually damages the neurons. So sometimes it's these very simple things that we're doing on a daily basis that are accelerating brain aging. And what I've learned from being in the clinical setting is a lot of people I don't think are really aware of that. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. 
We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. One thing I want to touch on before we get into some of these ways that we can improve our brains is something I think about often because my husband did contact sports when he was younger. He had a lot of concussions. (laughs) and Football player? Rugby? No, he was just very athletic. He did like flips on his bike a lot. He did football for a while and then switched to BMX, all sorts of things. Like if it's active, he's still doing it. We literally have... That is that already says something about his brain and his wiring. <laughs> really? We I mean we actually have a rock wall in our <gasps> place right now and like Olympic rings. <laughs> rock wall. <laughs> yes. We prioritize fitness in this household. I but, love it. But those things we hear might cause irreparable damage or or permanent damage to the brain. He's a very smart guy, don't get me wrong, but there are times in our arguments where I am sitting there thinking, you know, I've never had a brain injury. (laughs) No, you're you're not wrong, and I would love to scan his brain to see what's going on. So that's, (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up. This is one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Um, We did one of the largest brain imaging studies in professional football players and asked the question, does playing football cause long-term brain damage? And you know the answer I think we all know is yes, playing those collision-based sports can damage the integrity of the neurons and the blood vessels in the brain. And it's really not just the single hits, right? The big concussive hits, the knockout hits, it's the repetitive small hits taken over time. So kids who are playing collision-based sports or professional athletes can take hundreds if not thousands of these repetitive subconcussive impacts, they may have never had a formal concussion where they're knocked out. Um, but I'm sure if you asked your husband, there's days where he's gotten his bell rung, you know, he's been forgetful, he's had headaches, because that's just common playing the sport. So if you participate in those sports, and trust me, I did it as an equestrian. I mean, this is sort of one of the beauties of me being a scientist and writing a book like this. And then having been an athlete uh, myself, 
I've fallen off hundreds of times. So I am just like your husband, (laughs) exposed to these um, concussive impacts. But what I've learned from running in neuroimaging department is that we can change the brain and we can treat those kind of injuries. And the way you can treat them is through dietary and lifestyle habits. And I think that was one of the most, it's probably one of the foundational reasons why I even wrote this book, because in the study with the athletes, what we did was put them on a six month diet and lifestyle program and had them come back and rescan their brains and show that we could increase blood flow to the brain, stabilize the electrical patterns, help with their mood and their sleep. And that's and I think something that a lot of parents would really appreciate, you know, because I think there's a lot of concern here. You are talking about your husband realizing, OK, he's had some, you know, repetitive head impacts. You know, is this impacting us and our relationship, um, the way he manages his mood and his emotions? Um, is it going to impact his memory? And what I want to share with you is if you feel like it has, there's a lot of things we can do to help. <laughs> That's awesome. To be honest, I have to manage my moods way more than him, so I don't even notice if he's got. That's a good point, right? If you're you're the one having to manage the moods, you're not even noticing his. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But it is it is good to know that you know there's so many things that I think we think are we're just kind of taking a year or two off of our lives. Like every time we make a decision. And so it's good to know that there's a way to counteract some of these things. Oh, it's honestly, it is why I love being a brain scientist. I am so fascinated by what we've been able to do in terms of changing people's cognitive function, changing the actual physiology of their brain and seeing that those changes can last over the course of years and decades. That's extraordinary. And I don't think a lot of people really understand the power that they have in their own hands to make these kind of changes to their brain. Speaking of things that people don't really understand, I'm sure there's a ton of misconceptions or myths about the brain. What are some of those most common ones? Okay, well, I think you and I know the number one common myth is that we only use 10% of our brain. And we actually are using 100% of our brain all of the time. Um, I think they say that myth came about, there was a psychologist back in the early 1900s that had said we use 10% of our brain's capacity, um, just mentally, sort of mental thoughts, but they weren't really referring to the actual physiological function of the brain. So that's a common myth. Uh, Another one that I think a lot of people think of is multitasking. So many people think that multitasking makes their brain more efficient. And the reality is when we multitask, we're actually switching our focus very quickly between two things, but we aren't able to give our full focus on either one of those things to the greatest extent. So, you know, when I'm working with people and they feel like they can't focus or they have the scattered mind, you really want to just put your your mind on one thing. So if you're writing something, say on your computer, if you have your phone on, you're getting the dings and the chirps, I've got to answer my phone, got to do the text, that's multitasking. You're actually not going to be able to give your full focus to whatever you're working on. One thing that I know there are a lot of just differing pieces of information about are the idea of intellect and IQ. Is 
our capacity for being smart already set at a certain level? Is IQ even a valid (laughs) measurement anymore? How does that work? I love that you brought up that question because an IQ, you know, some people are feel so good about getting an IQ test and sharing the number that they got, but really intellectual capacity can change at any age. And when we're young, the more that we are exposed to academically in the home environment, you know, for example, when you're reading, teaching them how to write, any that we can do to help stimulate the brain can increase our academic performance. And one of the very easy ways to help increase academic abilities is through reading. Lots of reading. That's how we develop language. Um, Learning new words every day. That's how, again, we can strengthen our working memory and learn how to increase our ability to communicate more effectively. So when it comes to academic abilities, you can absolutely improve them as you age. And you don't need to get stuck on IQ as a limiting factor. Okay. So I have one more question to kind of just to help us all understand the brain a little bit more and just the relationship between the things we talk about on this show, like between brain health, between the mind. I know that the ideas of conscious and subconscious mind just kind of started gaining validity in the 90s. But what do those things have to do with cognitive health? As I'm sure you've probably talked about on many of your podcasts, the conscious mind, you know, we, it's funny, the conscious mind is our awareness is what we have in our everyday ability to make decisions. Our subconscious mind is sort of the programs that we have running in the background. And what I like to teach people is that from birth, you know, through our entire lives, we are constantly being exposed to stimulus in our environments. And all of that is going into our subconscious mind from um, the conversations that we have, the programs that we watch on TV, the behaviors that we engage in. Everything that we learn is going into our brain and settled in our subconscious mind. Sometimes we think the subconscious is what's driving a lot of our behaviors. Our conscious mind are the things that we're more aware of. So sometimes when you're struggling with, why do I do certain things? It could be because it's going on in your subconscious mind. That makes a lot of sense. And I was almost thinking... Maybe that's where part of the misconception about using 10% of our brain, because isn't it something like 10% of our processes are that conscious mind and most of them are, most of our behaviors are being driven by the subconscious? That is absolutely correct. It's funny. I don't know that that 10% came from the conscious mind concept, but you're absolutely right to think that, you know, 10% of our thoughts are really um, conscious and most of our behaviors are driven by the subconscious is really an extraordinary concept. But it's why when people go to hypnotherapy to help change a behavior, for example, you know, people who can't quit smoking can go or people who have phobias can go to work with a hypnotherapist who can help to work with the subconscious mind and change those beliefs at the subconscious level, which we can then employ consciously. So we've touched on these, that there are a lot of ways that we can actually begin to make pretty significant changes to our brain. 
uh, including food, lifestyle, all of these things that we're about to get into. But you've mentioned a few times increasing blood flow to the brain. What are the benefits of that? So your brain has 400 miles of capillaries. So it is a highly perfused organ. And we want to make sure that you've got oxygen-rich blood flow going to the brain continuously. So when we start to see deficits in perfusion using neuroimaging, we know that certain regions of the brain may not be getting oxygen and good oxygen, nutrients, and we actually want to be able to clear the wastes from those cells. So if we're not getting adequate perfusion, over time, those are the neurons that are going to be lost. And that's what leads to Remember I was talking about the shrinking in brain volume as we age. So one of the really smart strategies in being able to take care of your brain and maintaining brain function for a lifetime is to make sure you're getting adequate perfusion to your neurons. So what are some of the ways that we can make some of these quick changes that I think we we do a lot of things that we don't necessarily think have a big difference, or it sounds like it's going to be too simple. But I know that you have mentioned a bunch of different ways where you can change your brain in even under 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I have a little section in the book. It's the quick things that we can do. You can actually do all 10 of those every day. And you know, you're going to be making good changes to the brain. So uh, one of the ones that I love is having a cup of blueberries or even berries every day. So it was really fascinating. Blueberries contain antioxidants. And why we want to have antioxidants is the brain um, is one of the most metabolically active organs in the body. So 2% of the body's weight, but it consumes 20% of the body's oxygen. And it generates a lot of what we call free radicals, which can damage the neurons over time and cause the cognitive problems that we start to have when we're in our 60s, 70s, and 80s. So by having high antioxidant foods like blueberries, they will help to protect those cells from dying. And the reason why I put those in the book, Harvard did this really extraordinary longitudinal study that was in 16,000 participants. They studied them over the course of 20 years, the dietary habits, and found that those that had blueberries or strawberries moderately, so moderate intake being three to four times per week, slowed their brain aging by two and a half years. So again, simple strategy you can do, you know, have a cup of blueberries three to four times a week and could be blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, because um, all berries are loaded with antioxidants. So that's one quick strategy. Second, I love learning a new word a day. It's actually one of my favorites. So as we were talking about expanding intellectual capacity, by learning new words, you're going to be expanding the brain, not just your working memory, but your brain's working capacity, and it's going to help boost your intellectual function. So uh, one of the tips that I recommend is you can either get a page-a-day calendar, or I use the Merriam-Webster dictionary app, which I love. So it gives you the new word. Uh, the root of the word, um, synonyms, antonyms. They have fun little brain teasers that also might ask you a synonym of the word that you're learning. So it also is a little bit of a brain training game as well as learning the new word. Another thing that you can do is writing with your non-dominant hand. So 90% of us are born right-handed and it works certain areas in the left part of the brain, the left hemisphere. So when you do 
things with your non-dominant hand, it's going to work the opposite hemisphere. And neuroimaging has shown that it actually helps with the functional connectivity as well. So one fun way to pair the two things is to learn your new word a day and then write it with your non-dominant hand. Do the benefits of learning a new word every day, expanding your vocabulary in your own language, are do they, we get the same benefits by learning a, another language? Not only do we get the same benefits by learning another language, the research studies show that people who speak two languages can slow cognitive aging by as much as four and a half years. So again, as we age, we don't always engage in new learning in the same way we did when we were kids. But new learning was a little bit easier when we were children because our brain is just going through this rapid phase of development. So as we're getting older, um, we want to make sure that we're doing cognitively challenging things on a daily basis. Again, whether that's learning new words or learning a new language or continuing to read, reading a book a week or reading for 30 minutes a day, all of that's going to help stimulate the growth of new synapses. We call it synaptogenesis in neuroscience language. Uh, So it's going to stimulate the birth of new synapses and create new pathways for learning. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's really awesome that I have a neuroscientist on <laughs> this interview right now because I had this question during my meditation this morning. And uh, I, I got this uh, meditation device that I'm sure my listeners are like, stop talking about it but <laughs> because I'm so excited about it and I can't stop meditating these days because it's so fun. It's called the Muse Headband. It is so cool. I have had Muse for years. I've recommended it to patients, like for people who have a really difficult time quieting their mind down to get into the meditative space. I think the Muse headband is phenomenal. Oh my gosh. I am in love with it and I can 
feel a difference already. There's been a few different things. First of all, because it's a focus meditation and it's got that immediate feedback, I've been able to notice that I can be the observer of my thoughts way more easily. And it quickly, this started, like I started noticing differences within a couple of days. You notice the benefits of meditation in your everyday life. Yes. Your ability to focus. Yeah, that's really, that's impressive. So how long do you go on your muse? I tend to do 20-minute sessions, sometimes 15 uh-huh. if I'm really not feeling it. <laughs> right, right. And you get a, the, the birds chirping. Yes, I I get really sad yeah. when I don't get enough birds <laughs> for the day. But. That's really fun. You are actively learning how to shift your brain into what we call the, al- the alpha state, which is relaxed and focused. So have you found that when you don't use the Muse meditation sensor, are you able to sit and meditate and make that shift on your own? Yes, but but it was a, a process because there's different types of meditation and I've been doing the heart meditations this week and there's not as much of the immediate feedback for distracted thoughts, but it'll still yes. show me at the end the amount of birds that I got. And for listeners out there, the birds are when you've reached the deep calm state for a while, you'll hear a little bird chirp. And so that you know, you're, you're not distracted. And, and there's little, <laughs> little things that'll tell you when your mind is being too active and to focus back on your breath. And it's, it's really cool. Uh, so it's, I have less, I get less birds, I will say, when it's not giving me immediate feedback. But over this last week, I've been able to increase the amount that I get by just trying to remind myself. But even more so, there have been a few different times that I found myself triggered in the real world. And I'm just sitting there being the observer when I would normally say something out loud. And it's like I'm I'm practicing that same muse meditation. It's but one thing that's interesting is I've noticed in the meditations when I will try to get like a visual, like I'll I'll kind of go up and down. It's almost like I'm looking at the back of my eyelids or something like that. Uh But I notice often that my concentration will be to one side or the other. Is that some sort of indication of the side of the brain that I'm using or am I just making things up? Oh, you're shifting your focus to one side of your brain. So you close your eyes. Do you kind of close them and look up like you know, I've, I've actually was trained in Kirtan Kriya Yoga and meditation. I was trained like 20 years ago. So I, I love it. I'm not, wasn't sure how advanced of a practice that you have. So, so explain to me more when you're sitting with your eyes closed, you're noticing you're focusing on one side. It's almost like I suddenly think that I am twisted slightly to the right or something like that Mm -hmm. in the room. It's like the spatial recognition in the room, or my awareness of where I am in the room will veer to one side. And I was sitting there thinking this morning, I'm like, I wonder if this means that I am using this side of my brain oh, that's more. That's really fascinating. <laughs> well, you know what? You may want to trust your intuition. That's very possible. Um, what I will tell you and your listeners is that meditation, so brain imaging that we've done has shown that meditation helps to strengthen um, the frontal lobes, and that it, those are the areas of concentration and focus. So your ability to meditate for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, the more that you practice it daily, you will then be able to notice it in your real life, which it sounds like you're able to do, which is fascinating. And I love tools like Muse because a lot of times sit quietly and they try to meditate and their mind is just going, 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 and they the breathwork techniques sometimes are challenging for people. So I love that this kind of technology, which you 
I have the little leads that go on the temples that can help to work to shift your brain into that quieter state uh, can be really helpful. So let's talk about food, because I know that our food Mm -hmm. is so important to our overall health, including our brain health. And I think it's something that a lot of people make excuses for. (laughs) But it's interesting because I noticed in the beginning of my pregnancy, I was not able to eat for some reason, healthy food sounded terrible. And so I was the least healthy that I had ever been for about a month and a half. And And here you are eating for two. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. You'd think that the baby's instinct would be like craving the things that it need. But instead, all I wanted was like French bread and tomato sauce, which are two things that I never eat. (laughs) I'm like vegan organic. It was just very weird. So you if, if you actually tried to get some fruits or vegetables in there, you couldn't? Actually, I was eating a ton of fruit, but like salad sounded disgusting. And just like most things, I was very nauseated. But I felt terrible. You were were probably eating to um, modulate your brain, right? So sometimes we eat certain foods so that we feel better, like our comfort foods. You know, bread is definitely a comfort food and help to produce serotonin, which will calm your mind. So I'm thinking that might be the reason why we're choosing those foods. And we needed that 10% of, you know, your conscious awareness to go, okay, I, I should really have the salad and the green juices and the fruits because my brain needs it and my baby's brain needs it. But it right. sounds like the, the, the bread and the tomato sauce were, were the overriding, you know. Yeah, I was like choking down a lot of different foods. Like I would have a disgusted look on my face, which is just odd because I eat very well. But I noticed the hardest part for me was I noticed that I did not feel focused. I noticed that Mm -hmm. my I just felt sluggish and I intuitively knew I was like, this isn't just the pregnancy. This is the food that I'm eating. And so it was a very interesting time. It's It's almost like an experiment. You know, you realize that's being aware and being mindful of taking in a food and seeing how it feels in your body and how it's infecting your cognitive function. And you weren't feeling sharp right after having the bread. Yeah. So what are some simple swaps that we can make to make sure that we are giving the brain what it needs? Well, um, I'm so happy you asked that. One of the things that I did at the clinics was run a brain-directed weight loss group. So the goal was to get people brain fit and healthy, and the weight loss was just the great side effect. And sort of the dietary approach that Um, I was using was following the Mediterranean diet, which has tons of evidence showing that it helps to protect your uh, cardiovascular health and neurological health. And again, it's loaded with fruits and vegetables and legumes and, you know, minimal dairy and meats. So one of the things that I found in helping people to get brain healthy is to literally look at the number of foods you're consuming each day. So again, I'm a scientist, so I like to break things down, but you know, we always say you can't change what you don't measure, right? If you have no idea the intake, you don't really know if it's going to, to be affecting your brain. So I would have people do three servings of vegetables each day, and you can easily get that by doing a green juice, two servings of fruits. We like to have the berries for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, right? For the high antioxidants, you want to try to get a serving of lentils in. So one thing people don't realize is 
we should really be getting about 33 grams of fiber in our diet each day. And again, fruits, vegetables, lentils, all of those whole foods help to give us the fiber. Why is the fiber important? Not just to move things through the digestive system, but it can help feed the serve as a prebiotic to the bacteria that are in your intestine. And the, as we all know, your gut health is connected to your brain health. So we've got the vegetables, we've got the fruits, we've got the legumes. You want to get the omega-3 fatty acids into your diet. So 90% of Americans aren't consuming enough fish. Um, you know, we want to have you get you know, two servings of a fatty fish per week. And if you don't do the fish, then we recommend doing one to two grams of an omega-3 fatty acid, or you can get them through walnuts, right? Healthy nuts and seeds, your walnuts, your almonds, your chia, your flax, your hemp. Um, but again, when we're talking about the fats, especially nuts, you want to do like 12 nuts. You know, my godfather who loves to shop at the darn Trader Joe's, he'll go and get a whole bag and be like, okay, I had my nuts, but you know, there, whatever, there's like 50 nuts in there. And I'm like, wait, that's a little too much. So, you know, again, it's about being really smart about the portion. So fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes, dairy. We want to keep our dairy consumption down to a serving a day and preferably non-dairy sources um, like the almond milks and the rice milks are going to be best because dairy is inflammatory to the body. And same thing with red meats. You got to be very careful with the meats because they're inflammatory. And if you're going to be on a brain healthy protocol, you don't want to eat things that are hyper-inflammatory. So being on a brain-healthy diet really is more about lots of fruits and vegetables, you know, and the whole foods, and then minimizing the sugars and the saturated fats. So one trend that has been popping up recently that makes my little vegan self shudder a little bit is the carnivore diet. It sounds like that might not be as amazing as the books. It is not brain healthy. <laughs> Here, here's the thing about meat that I think people need to understand. And I, you know, I'm really mindful when I talk about diet because I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of patients in the clinical setting, helping to really switch them to a more brain healthy way of eating. And some people need meat, you know, so you know, I don't really try to ascribe to one diet or another. There's a place for keto. Um, you know, people who have seizure disorders do really well on keto diets. Um, people who have cancer, you know, ketogenic diets can work really well. But the carnivore diet, the reason why too much meat in the diet is not good for you is number one, it can increase your risk of cancer. You know, the research studies show that vegans have a 4% cancer rate or lower. So that's why we definitely want to have all the good healthy fruits and vegetables. But every time we eat meat, it causes this low grade inflammatory process in the body. And that's because it, the meat has these bacterial endotoxins. So that's what causes the inflammation. It will usually go away within four to five hours. But the problem is people eat three meals a day. So you eat the meat, right? You have the bacon for breakfast, you get the inflammation, <laughs> then it goes down, but oh my God, it's lunchtime. So then you have, you know, your hamburger or some kind of meat again, um, you get the inflammatory process. Five hours later, you're at dinner. So it's the chronic low grade inflammatory process that's happening in the body that is then causing all of these, you know, diseases of aging, cancer, 
heart disease, diabetes. So this is why being really mindful of your diet and making some of the upgrades or switches uh, are going to be really helpful. Right. And thank you for saying that. I, as a vegan, in the beginning of my vegan journey, I was much more like, this is the only way. But the more that I learn, Mm -hmm. I just understand that this is the way that feels right for me at the time. And it goes with just my beliefs about environmental stuff and my connection to animals. But I don't demonize anybody that eats meat. But I do think that we just need to be a little bit more intentional about what we're putting into our bodies, because these are the bodies that are going to take us through these entire lives for a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah, like we have one body. So we've got we've got one body, we've got one brain, you know, I love that you bring that up. And we the one thing that I want to leave with your listeners, and it's one of the things that I learned in neuroscience that I just I didn't know and I don't think I ever would have known unless I worked in a laboratory in a clinical setting, is that cellular degeneration and the diseases of aging start twenty to thirty years before you have a symptom of memory loss or dementia. So, you know, the habits that we're doing in our twenties, thirties, and forties are really going to predict what our lives are going to be like when we're 60, 70, and 80. So what I teach people is it's never too late to change your habits and change your brain health. Um, The more rigorous you are at following the recommendations, like what I talk about in the book and the things that I've just discussed now, there, there are simple things you can do. It doesn't have to be hard. I mean, you know, if you want to come into a brain imaging clinic, we've got all kinds of technologies that can help support your brain. We've got neurofeedback and transcranial magnetic stimulation and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. There are stem cells. I mean, there's really extraordinary technologies that are out there, but it doesn't have to be that hard or expensive. <laughs> you can do a lot of things at home um, through diet and lifestyle modifications that are really extraordinary. And you know, again, we want to we want to slow down that cellular aging process, and we can do it. You know, the powers in the foods we choose to eat every day, and our stress reduction techniques, like you using the Muse every day for ten to twenty minutes, that is preserving your brain function because it's lowering your cortisol levels in your body, and that's going to help protect the hippocampus, to part of your brain important in learning and memory. So another thing I wanted to touch on is you talk about how our thoughts can actually change our brain. And this is something that kind of comes up on this show a lot. So I wanted to see if you could go into a little bit more detail from the neuroscientist perspective. Absolutely. So everything we think has a chemical reaction in our brain, and it can actually change the physiology of our brain. And I like to use gratitude as an example, because we always hear and read, you know, how important it is to give thanks and practice gratitude daily. But, you know, and and gratitude is great, because it's a positive thought process. You know, majority of us spend our time analyzing the world around us, they say 70% of the thoughts we have in our brain are negative. And I think the negative piece is just we're always out looking for threats, right? We're always strategizing and being really cautious. And we need to work on improving the positive thoughts, the positive thought pathways in our brain, because that's what's going to keep our brain healthy. So let me just explain gratitude. So by practicing gratitude, that helps to increase neurotransmitters in your brain, like dopamine and serotonin, which help us to feel good. It boosts 
oxytocin, which is the hormone involved in bonding. So when we practice gratitude from our heart, we're literally giving thanks either for something somebody did for us that we really need or even showing gratitude to somebody else for an act that they did. So gratitude is a sort of two-way street. Um, And what I teach people is not only does it help boost those feel-good neurotransmitters and hormones, which just make us feel better, the neuroimaging research shows that it helps to strengthen pathways in the frontal lobes involved in moral cognition. So you can make physiological changes to the brain just by practicing positive thinking. And again, gratitude. But the other reason why it's important to really focus on this is we can't, you know, a lot of times people, when they're stressed, they ruminate, they get stuck in that thought pattern, right? You can't get off the hamster wheel. By having practices like gratitude or um, reading positive texts, positive self-help books, getting those inspirational words sort of into our mindset help to strengthen the positive pathways in our brain. And the more that we reinforce them daily, just like you do your daily meditation, you know, if you do a 10 minute daily gratitude practice or meditate on something you're you're feeling grateful for, it strengthens those positive pathways. And when we find ourselves um, sort of walking through life, we tend to be more emotionally resilient. Now, maybe you can speak from experience because I know that this is something that you do in practice. Like, have you found when you do a gratitude practice or have more positive thoughts, you feel better? 100%. And it's interesting because I love the woo-woo side of things, (laughs) you know, like your thoughts attract your life. But it's interesting that the more I dive into the science, it just reinforces why these things happen. It's not just always this magical thing, although I like to believe that too. It's that you are training your mind to start noticing the things that you have instead of placing so much attention on the things that you still need. And it's so easy in this world of Amazon one day delivery to to think about what we need, but what I don't have versus what I have, what I'm grateful for. You're absolutely right. And I feel like sort of positive thinking is a discipline and a mental training exercise. And, you know, that's why I like, you know, people who tend to think more positively might be the people that get up every morning and read a spiritual text, right? It could be a self-help book. It could be the Bible. It could be whatever, infusing their minds with positive words and positive thoughts. And it's, it's very helpful for some people. It really helps sort of set the tone for the day instead of waking up, looking at your phone and, you know, being horrified by something in in the news and having that start your day. um, It's better to wake up, you know, do 10 minutes or a gratitude practice or meditation or reading from some kind of text that has really inspirational messages like A Course in Miracles. I mean, you know, there's, there's many things out there. It's like whatever resonates with you. That is a way to help get your mindset ready for the day. And it really helps you to be, just become more emotionally resilient. Well, there is so much that we didn't even get to touch on today, including exercise. One thing that I really loved was that exercising outside doubles the benefits to the brain, supplements, brain dehydration. So there's so much gold in this book. 
to help you protect your brain and, and in ways that's actually that it's not just like this long-term thing, like do this now so that you're okay when you're 85. There are things that you'll start to notice the changes because you are you are giving your brain what it needs in this moment. And so if you f- struggle with a focus, with negative thoughts, all of these things can be really helpful. So thank you so much for all the wisdom that you came and were able to fit into this show. And for listeners that are interested in learning more and connecting with you, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. And if you want to find me, you can go to my website at drwillemeyer.com. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 175. So today, I'm going to offer you a little bit of a deeper challenge. It's highly worth it, though, if you have the time and the commitment. It doesn't take that much time. I'm just recommending that you track your brain's performance after you eat certain things or move your body. So I notice that after I eat bread-heavy meals, my brain feels a little bit foggier. Or if I haven't moved my body a lot throughout the day, my brain feels a little bit foggier. So this could look like just tuning into yourself, just sitting quietly for a moment after maybe you do a little bit of an exercise and notice how your brain's functioning or start to take note of when you're a little bit more forgetful or you're feeling scattered and look back and see what have you done that day? What have you eaten? The more you're able to diligently track these types of things, the more you realize how much power you actually have over your own performances. It's really powerful, but it does take some work. So I know that most of you aren't going to do this because that's just how life works, but I do encourage you to try it. If you already received the Morning Mind Love, you got a little inspirational note that went right along with this episode this morning. If you haven't signed up, go to mindlove.com and sign up on the homepage or text MORNING to 33777. I promise you're going to love it. If you want twice as many Mind Love episodes, plus free meditations and other bonuses, go to mindlove.com slash premium and sign up right there and join the tribe. And otherwise, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.